0: Hey, everybody, it's the Running Rogue Podcast. I'm Chris, and as always, Steve is joining me. Hey, Steve. Hello, Chris. Hello, uh, listening world, <laughs> the whole big bad world out there. The big bad running world. Today, we're going to jump into episode 13 with a continuation on our series on mental training. We've come at you with two prior episodes episode six, where we laid out our framework for mental training, and then episode 11 where we started talking about the first component, and we basically got through motivation and purpose and laid out the steps for creating a statement of purpose for your running. So if you haven't listened to these yet, go back and listen to 6 and 11. This is 13, and we'll be continuing on the series, now talking about the rest of the battle plan, which is vision and goal setting. Yep. So we're going to kind of take that... reason why you run and try to move it to tactical goal setting. But before we do that, as always, we start with some current events in the running world. And today we have an update to share. In episode one, we talked about Nike's breaking two project, their project to get three runners under two hours in the marathon sometime this spring. And it's been a little bit cloak and dagger with Nike so far to this point in terms of what's going on We know that the three athletes that they've chosen, Kipchoge, Tadisi, and Lisa, have all been training independently in their normal home training grounds, getting visits from the Nike scientists and the Nike product guys to refine some of the methodologies. But for the most part, everybody's been quiet until today. We got the big update, and you can check this out, and we'll link to it in an article on Runner's World with the latest. And they've chosen a venue, and they've released some more details about how they're gonna break the record including a new shoe and some gear that the athletes will be wearing to make them more aerodynamic. So the quick high level updates on this are the course has been chosen. They're gonna be doing it on a Formula One track in Monza, Italy. And it's gonna be a a 2.4K loop. So they're gonna be lapping this loop about 17 and a half times for the marathon. The average morning temperatures in the spring for this location in Italy is 54 degrees Fahrenheit, about 12 degrees Celsius, which they've determined to be optimal for the for the record attempt. And as I mentioned, they've got a new shoe that's apparently been proto- prototyped and tested by Rupp, as well as Shalane and Amy Hastings-Crag, but these athletes will be wearing it for their attempt. It's got a carbon fiber plate in it and apparently some midsole foam that gives you more energy return than others, as well as they'll have an aerodynamic singlet and they'll be wearing half tights instead of split uh-huh. shorts. Chris is Chris yeah. is definitely exactly. proponent of this, the king of half tights. If only they, you know, as listen to me <laughs> all these years, <laughs> then uh, so to reduce air, air drag, they're going to be wearing half tights instead of split shorts. I have, I was way ahead of them <laughs> making that shift about five <laughs> years ago myself. So that's the update. And then additionally, today they did a time trial on the course for a half marathon. All three athletes were there. And Kipchoge led the way in 59 minutes and 18 seconds. He was followed by Tadisi, the half marathon specialist, who ran 59.41 and then Lisa, we don't know what happened, but he blew up and finished in sixty-two fifty-five. But this was their attempt to do a little bit of a test run on the track and see how it felt for the athletes. So with all that information, Steve, what are your thoughts on the latest on the Breaking 2 project?
1: Well, I'm really happy to see the level of consistency, the sort of scientific rigor, and the, um, and the way that they're kind of I, I say scientific rigor, I should I, I should adjust that a little bit just to say that they're being incredibly consistent. That doesn't necessarily mean it's scientifically sound. I'm just saying they're being pretty consistent and analytical about the way that they're presenting it um, and then the way they're bringing it out. I really would love for us to get a date, to know a, time, a day that this is going to happen that would allow everyone to get a little bit more excited. But it is pretty cool that three of the fastest men in the world just ran a half marathon, <laughs> two of whom breaking 60 minutes in basically a time trial with a phalanx of about seven, six or seven pacers along the whole route. Um, there's a level of sort of intrigue that that kind of gets pulled out of that. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I'm a big fan of the idea of this loop course. I do think 17 and a half laps could be a little bit problematic, but, you know, it's a Formula One route, so this is while well, men are not cars, cars don't seem to be having a huge problem with the way that they manage the turns on this route necessarily. So perhaps it won't be as big an issue. My biggest concern is really the 17.5 mile, 17.5 loops. The flatness of the course, well, it's got enough 18 meters, as we talked about offline, Chris. 18 we just, feet. 18 yeah. feet. We talked about this. It's That's a really optimal thing. You know, we have it I don't know that we've talked about this before, but When we run uh, Chicago at Rogue, we always create uh, a basic plan of attack where we try to do similar thing to what's happening here. If there's not enough undulation on the course, we sort of accelerate into turns to try to pull some Gs and get the body moving in a different mechanical stride length and stride power output, and so that they'll change the way that they're running enough to help recruit some different muscle groups through the course of a 26.2 mile race and once we started implementing that about four years ago, we've really been able to kind of not, we've really limited the amount of like dead-leggedness that happens over the last three to five miles that's not related to the myriad of other factors that could cause that in a race but um, I I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I wish you know, I wish that there might have been a little bit more pub about this so we could have had an opportunity to watch but perhaps they were just trying to see what What would lay out there. I would also like to know a little bit of a race report from uh, Kipchoge as to effort levels and how tough it looked. Uh, We still haven't gotten too much insight from anybody that's not involved intimately in the process. They kept looked like they kept those doors closed and and kept it in a way that they could control all of the different spins that could come off of it. So, you know, I'm positive about it. I, I still think this is something worth doing. Is it a media... Is it a media thing? Probably. Um, will it kill the sport of marathoning? Heck, no. There's no way it's going to do that. I think it's going to continue to bring attention to a sport that needs attention brought to it. Um, and whatever means someone goes under two hours, it will still be meaningful when it happens at this time, unless they're pulling him, pulling him in some way, shape, or form. I don't think the shoes are any major. Uh, enough of a major help to be I mean I think it's going to help a little bit but I don't know that it's going to be a a huge deal Um,
0: yeah it's good to see that you know when it first was announced there was a lot of speculation about how they were going to achieve the dramatic gains needed to break the world record by close to three minutes and some were speculating that they might use a downhill course put somehow big fans at their back on trucks or something like that And it seems that with the loop course and with the technology they've announced being, as you say, fairly kind of secondary, it doesn't seem that there's going to be any major cheating going on or or advantages gained by the things that Nike's providing now, though. They have said that it will be on a world record eligible course, which we now know that course, but they've said it probably won't be a world record eligible attempt because of other factors. And we don't know exactly what that means. And we've speculated that it could mean they're going to have different pacers alternating in and out. And, and we've we got some insight that they might have mopeds handing off bottles instead of having traditional water stations so that it minimizes the effort associated with getting fluids. And so some of those things may come into play, but other than that, there seems to be a lot of integrity to the attempt, and I'm still a huge skeptic that it's <laughs> possible as I as I normally am, but it does I do appreciate the fact that it's not going to be some crazy gimmicky
1: attempt. Yeah, that's <clears throat> I'm with you Chris 100%. That was the biggest concern I had. That would that that it could in some way really be fodder for um, the masses to say it was illegitimate. Um, of course, there's always going to be the outliers out there, those who are very scientifically inclined who are going to look at it and say, unless it's an el- on an eligible course and in an eligible scenario, then it shouldn't count. And, of course, it won't count, but it will count in the, in the minds of the public, I think. Um, another thing to take into consideration, if you consider the fact that it's 59 minutes and four, 18 seconds, I think is what he ran yep. somewhere there, um, we don't know the level that he brought to that. It was a time trial. Um, you could see by the photos that we saw on Twitter that it was sparsely attended. Um, and so, what will happen? And it was also a very windy day from what we heard. And so, 17 and a half loops, when a windy day, I can tell you that will have an effect. Ask any guy that's run a 10K on the track. When it's on a windy day, they will tell you how important, how, how difficult it is to stay mentally focused over that distance. So, Fifty-nine eighteen does not indicate sub two. That is for sure. They're not even close. But at what level was it going? What kind of effort was he putting in? Um, And we definitely know one thing is that Ilya Kipchoge has the head and the heart to get this thing done. He's got the stones to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether he has all the other circumstances set up in in an appropriate way, who knows? One thing for sure is... It looks a little bit more like Tedisei and Delisa are more going to be his long-term pacers. At least that's the way it's looking like to me. That perhaps they're setting that up to where late in the race, instead of bringing in pacers to help later, as you noted offline, Chris, that that might be problematic, the the shifting of pace, trying to get folks to get at the right pace, um, that that could be a way over the final 10K to minimize that if they're sacrificial lambs um, to just bury themselves during the key times, that could be what's happening. Who knows? Still, lots of speculation. Probably Nike likes this. Um, but, again, more, more intrigue and more interest and uh, excited to see what else happens from this.
0: Yeah, and we'll see. We'll keep you updated. We, we can see the Nike marketing engine spinning this up. I mean, the Formula One track, I mean, it's got to be a venue that they can get spectators at, that TV will be easily accessible, and you'll be able to see it really well as they loop through that course. So and they
1: have three products to sell: a two hundred and fifty dollar <laughs> racing flat, right, and uh, uh, some some half tights. I'm sure you're gonna pick it goes <laughs> up too. I'm sure
0: you're gonna pick a pair up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kipchogis might be a little small for me, but, um, <laughs> but I could try. So anyway, we'll keep you posted, but we'll see. But it's definitely turning out to be more intriguing than maybe I would have anticipated. So kudos to Nike on that. All right. So now we'll switch gears and get into our topic. As I said, we're going to be going back to our series on mental training. This is our third episode. As I mentioned, if you haven't already, check out episodes six and 11, the first two in this series. This will be the third where we talk about visioning and goal setting. Just to give people a quick summary of our last episode, we talked about motivation and how you feel about your run. And then we talked about purpose which is what do you say about your run and why you run? And so now we're going into vision, which is how do you see it coming into action? So uh, we'll start there, Steve. Tee up
1: visioning. So, you know, the art of visualization is something we're going to be coming back to frequently in this mental training process. And... What we're talking about here is sort of more meta than the specifics of visualization. What we're talking about here is taking that statement of purpose that you worked so hard on to get right, taking that, uh, that intent that you um, sort of come to from the very beginning of this whole endeavor, and, and getting to a place where you can see the thing that you want. Um, let's take, for example, a person who wants to qualify for the Boston Marathon and hasn't qualified for the Boston Marathon. What that can do what they can do in this regard is sort of in a generic way it's taking um, maybe the import of that time and 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 doing something with what that time is if it's three hours and four minutes and ten seconds or if it's uh, or if it's, they can see themselves coming across a finish line, um, with their arms raised and seeing that time across the board. It's not the act of visualization that we'll discuss later, which is a systematic and consistent approach, but it's more, can you actually visually see yourself achieving this? Um, I will, I'll, I'll tell a little story. When I was a kid, I used to, uh, did a lot of running on my own. I was the oldest son. Uh, my other siblings eventually started running, but I was significantly older than them and I was a pretty fast kid. And I did a lot of running all by myself. And um, I would spend so much time being out there running, you know, 45, 60 minutes up to 90 minutes. And for, you know, a kid who's in junior high and then early years of high school, uh, that's not a normal activity to be doing completely by yourself. Um, and I know that what got me to the levels that I achieved um, in high school and then in college and then post-collegiately were absolutely a factor of myself seeing myself on those runs racing against the greatest. So I would see myself running stride for stride with Carlos Lopez, or I would watch, I would be visioning some old race where I might be able to hold off uh, Steve Prefontaine over the final meters of a, of a race, Was it realistic? Hell no, it wasn't realistic. But what was happening was I was putting a visual in my head. I was seeing something that was... Maybe not the exact specific of that statement of purpose I created, but it was the ability for me to be able to go through time and time again, a different way of visioning that thing that I wanted to achieve. And that I, what of that main thing was, was to win a high school state championship, which after many failures, many, many failures, believe me, um, many times of throwing myself on the infield of a track, actually with the choking of choke chokes of epic proportions. Um, <laughs> But the very final chance I had on the very last chance I had to do it, I achieved it. And I can tell you, I'm I'm, I'm sure and certain that that was because years and years and years of a visualization or seeing myself um, being able to be the runner I wanted to be. And I, I think that's really the key part of this is the idea that we, Chris and I are trying to get across on this visioning is who do you want to be as a runner? Um, and so we're going to talk about some specific things of, about that in a second. But that's the real big picture there, Chris. It's who what kind of runner do you want to be do you see yourself as a as a leopard or you see yourself as a wolf right let's use a little you know animal analogy because those are two different ways of running and those are two different runners what is the kind of runner you want to be um and what does that look like you have to start seeing it in your head so
0: last time we talked about statement of purpose we used at one point i used the word cheesy because there are some that might think this is cheesy And what we're going to talk about here going from the statement of purpose to another activity where you have a little bit of homework is requiring you to take these visuals in your head of seeing yourself achieve what you want to achieve with running and then translate that into a vision board like a physical object that you can look at so first Talk to me about the cheesy component. Why is this? Obviously, it's, somebody's going to say it's cheesy, but why is it important in spite of maybe being a little bit cheesy?
1: So, you know, s- anybody, as we reveal this technique, there are a whole lot of folks out there from, you know, psychologists, self-help gurus, life coaches, and and other folks who will call this kind of passe or, or sort of psych light, you know, um, mi- mainly because this technique was really, came into popularization pretty recently um, probably over the last 15 to 20 years it's gotten to be something that you're seeing uh, go, go onto YouTube or, or go to Pinterest and, and type in uh, vision board and you'll begin to see that that there are a lot of folks doing this activity and it, it sort of got really to became super popular with that best-selling book The secret which sort of the law of attraction which um, though in my mind a little bit of a cheesy way of presenting it is certainly incredibly impactful information. Um, and really, I think, you know, the queen of media herself, Oprah Winfrey, really sort of really popularized this and, and through her magazine and through some books and through uh, some of her shows in terms of saying that this is a fantastic way of, of putting out a vision of who you are and what you see. But one of the things, as, these, as we hear people who kind of think of it as super cheesy or who want to attack it, I mean, some people attack it in pretty scathing ways is to recognize that this idea of a vision board that we're going to be talking about has been done for since the dawn of time. Humans have been utilizing the, the, the form of art um, or creating a vision or creating a picture um, to see visually of the thing that they wanted to do. From the caves in, in France that, that were discovered over the last 20, 20 years or so that are 32,000 years old where we see a a hunter with a spear throwing a spear at these beautiful animals that he's definitely trying to he or she is definitely trying to 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 stab we know we're pretty sure now that these are representing not a vision of something that happened but these were paintings that were done as a step on the process of achieving the goal of having the successful hunt and to me that just takes the idea of a vision board and really puts it into a different position. Um, You know, also, since, you know, the hieroglyphics of ancient Egypt, many people consider those, that form of writing to actually be a, a, a method of sort of reaching this idea of seeing the thing as a way of having it happen. Um, and even in the present day, I mean, every medieval text that's on magic or or these old grimoires that are that are in existence there, this process of using the word, using vision, using pictures to try to get the result that you're trying to get. So there's a very, very long history. You don't have to reach just back to uh women's day or uh to uh some other method that might be considered super cheesy it's it's a real effective method to see what you want and i'll remind folks about this process as we get started it's only as cheesy as you make it because it's your vision so um my recommendation is as we go through this process is to take it pretty seriously that doesn't mean that you take yourself seriously but i do think you want to take the process seriously as we go through the steps um, because i think you'll find it to be pretty effective anybody who's watched a motivational movie i'll never forget the time when i first saw running brave it was a it was it was i was a it was unbelievable i just to see a visual representation of someone doing it at an incredible level what i wanted to do and to see that this guy who had absolutely no chance in hell he shouldn't even have been running at a competitive level in 1964 when he did. But not only did he make an Olympic team he wasn't supposed to make, he was in the final at the Olympics with 400 meters to go. He's in the race to win it. He gets pushed back, thrown back, and you get to see Billy Mills in this, in this, in this, in this movie. The visual of that actually occurring and actually happening, you, any reading that you have done of it would never have been as powerful as the visual of seeing it in the film. Plus... I'll remind people that
0: we live in a visual world. That the reason we love our social media and things like Instagram is because those pictures often depict for us aspirational things. We follow people that travel. We follow people that might provide motivation, and those visual pictures become a representation of what you might want for y- for yourself. And this is just a way of personalizing it. And making it physical for you and giving yourself that visual reminder wherever you need it to be of what you're trying to accomplish. So with that as intro to creating this vision board, let's think with the outcome in mind and then we'll go through the steps. So what exactly are we asking people to create with the vision board?
1: So we're asking you to create a physical, creative, artistic representation of the runner that you want to be. So it's the written word is really really effective to get clear on purpose and that's what we did with our statement of purpose but creating a visual representation of that is what we're trying to achieve so basically it can be done in many different formats you could utilize um, pinterest as i described before Um, many people you can get on the on the web and print out and 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 place pictures up that's why i think print Pinterest in some ways really is a sort of a a perfect way to do this is utilizing photos and pictures and video clips and other things in one place to do it. But what I'm really suggesting is to put it all on one page and to actually, if you need to get that stuff off the Internet, do so. But you want to get a piece of of board or a a scrapbook or um, a poster board, or even in some cases if you think your vision board might change or as you use some of the key components, you might even use a cork board, something you can purchase at a Hobby Lobby or any other craft store. Um, And then we're going to cut out either print and Print or cut out pictures. So finding old running magazines, finding old uh, printing stuff off of websites and other things to take these actual images of the things that you want to see and putting them on paper. So we'll talk a little bit more about that and how we're going to do that. So So
0: you're basically, to simplify that, creating a collage. Correct. A collage of images. Perfect, yes. Whether they're drawn yourself or cut out of a magazine or printed off. A, on a printer, you're creating a big collage that represents what you want to be as a runner. So, take us through the steps.
1: Because the first thing you need to do is you kind of got to approach this thing. So, you got to come to it. <clears throat> so, that's like getting all your getting all your weapons together so that you can put it together. The first thing you want to do is kind of decide on your format. As I said, I think it's best to do something visual, printable, something usable that you can take and physically hold in your hand. But if you if that's just not convenient for you or the methods or the things that you're trying to get out aren't going to work that way, you can also use Pinterest as an option. But decide how you're going to do that, right? The next thing you do is you need to just start doing some digging and searching. Do some historical research. Do some research on, on what... The, what you're seeing of yourself and get some raw material. So let's say that you've got your vision and use used the analogy earlier about maybe you feel like you were a runner as a runner. You're more of a cheetah or more of a wolf. Um, if one of those is sort of part of what you think of yourself as a runner, find the coolest picture that you can find of that imi- an image of that and print it out, cut it out and put it in your board. I also think that one of the key things is, you can really, this is a really powerful way to use your statement of purpose and distilling that statement of purpose down to maybe a sentence, and then handwriting that sentence and using that as a visual. Again, we're not asking it just to be art from pictures, but art also includes words and the way that you use words. And so writing down in a handwritten interesting way or using a script, on a. if you're not, handwriting is terrible, getting onto the internet and using, They've got all kinds of really cool fonts and really cool ways of writing that might be indicative of, more indicative of the way that you want to, to format that actual statement of purpose, but take that statement of purpose and use that as a part, whether it's a frame on the outside or something on the inside, you really want to get creative about this. Um, and then I really think that you want to start to think about heroes and heroines, the, the things that will motivate you. As I said, whether that's an animal or it's runners that you had in the past, like for me, Carlos Lopez, I did this when I was a kid. I did this many, many times over and over again. I, was, I can still visualize the picture of Carlos Lopez coming across the finish line at the 1984 Olympic Games when he won the gold medal in the marathon. And I know the shoes that he wore, he's wearing Nike Spirit ons. I know the shorts that he had because I had a pair of those shorts. I couldn't find the singlet, but if I could have found the singlet, I wouldn't have worn it. I think I got my hair cut in that style for a little while but it was you know i was of that age but it was also a really impactful way of doing it so, so i you know carlos lopez was a hero to me um but i also think that you can find heroes and heroines i'm um, sort of outside of the running world too and to be willing to look outside of that space and also don't forget you could also use you know enemies or even villains something that when you see it it doesn't always have to be positive but if it elicits it a feeling in you that makes you want to react in a positive way toward the thing that you want don't be afraid to also use something that might be considered not necessarily exactly the perfect paragon right whatever speaks to you i think is really really important and then finally i think in terms of this approaching the vision board i think it's really important to also be willing to get outside of sort of the literal ways of doing things don't be super literal um use whatever pathetic uh, pathetic that's what a what a slip of the tongue whatever poetic license or mythology or sort of non-linear or nonsensical um source for your inspiration but just gather all that material together Get it, get it all together and decide what you're going to use. Have too much information, too much, more than you might use. If it sparks even the slightest bit of interest in your is print it or put, pin it and put it in a place so that you can get to it. At first, what you want to do is to spend, as we talked about with your statement of purpose, maybe taking a week or two weeks or up to even a month to create it. I don't. I think what you can do is take the time that you want to take to get your materials together for this is really important. So take the time you need to gather a really pretty good a pretty good source of material um, so that you've got a, a, a lot of working stuff to be able to take and use.
0: I think your point about not just making it positive is a good one. I know Matt Fitzgerald in his book, How Do You Want It, talks about how a lot of the best elite athletes – motivate themselves from a place of anger because of something that happened to them or maybe someone who underestimated them. So as you say, you got to look at both sides of the coin, both that sort of positive, positive aspirational side as well as the perhaps more negative motivational side as well. So you have all the material. What are your tips on actually physically creating the board once you're ready?
1: So first of all, as we said before, make sure that you've got all that material and you have it at hand. And then really you kind of want to take your time to do this. Uh, my suggestion is to, to really get in a quiet place, turn your phone off, maybe turn on some music. Um, get yourself in a mood where you're willing to take the time, to- give yourself the window of time and then, and then really like sort of limit the amount of sensory and other sensory information that's available to you as I'll say this later, but this is something in a project that you can do with other people very safely in a really, especially if you trust them in a really, really cool way. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be all by yourself. It just means you don't want the television going on at the same time. You don't want your phone on, on, on ringing so that you have to stop in the middle of doing what you're doing. Get just, get yourself some time to, to give yourself about an hour, maybe an hour and a half to get this thing done. Um, and, and then, really, it's important, as I said, you're, the sort of set and setting is in every really sort of magical act or any any kind of thing that you're going to do that's going to be impactful from a psychological perspective. Is you want to make sure that those that the place that you're in, not just the time you have, but the place that you're in, speaks to you. So whether it's your living room or an office space, or if you're with a group of people, it's a place where maybe you 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 act out these things. I think it would be really cool here at Rogue at one point in time to say, hey, we're going to get groups of 10 to 15 together in small groups and we're going to do a vision board for folks. So we've got a lot of raw materials that people will be able to utilize and they can bring it with them. But to do it in a group setting here at, at, at the speed shop would be a really cool thing to do to have the people with you. But you can do it in any scenario that you want to with a small group or with a bigger group, however you want to. But make sure that The distractions are gone, that you're in a mood, in a place where you can actually take advantage of the things that you want. You know, one thing that I've suggested to people, there are a lot of folks out there who love, who have their running playlists. And um, maybe even just turn on that running playlist as you're creating the, the, this vision board for yourself, those songs might pull out, um, something of your raw materials that you didn't know, or might create another vision for you to be able to get on and create another, you know, you might be able to stop for a moment and, and, and bring in whatever connotation is brought from that music or sound, or, or even the, the, the logo of the band that you're, that, that, that resonated with you at that moment. But it's just being sure that that set and setting is red is right. So, um, and then finally, the, one of the really, really important things is to be flexible. So you don't want to immediately start taking that if you're going to do this on a physical board of some sort, you don't want to immediately just bringing out the glue and just and tape and sticking it on on the board what you want to do is take that and move it from place to place to place and continuously give yourself the freedom to create something and then sort of pull it apart and put it in another spot so you know if you're using a, a cork board, that's a lot easier to do you can have pins and you can pin them in and then later if you want to and you say this is sort of a finalized vision of this thing that I'm thinking about you could then take and glue them to the to the thing that you're talking about but I think it's really important to continue to be flexible early on of course at some point in time you got to put your foot down and you've got to say okay this is sort of the the final version of what I'm going to be doing. But I think for the initial steps, especially that first 20 to 30 minutes, you kind of want to just throw some things up there and just start putting it up there. It doesn't have to be the final. You're just doing it in a way that allows you to sort of start thinking through the connotations and, and, and the ways that you want your, the vision of who you want to be as a runner to sort of be represented in an artistic form. And that doesn't, have to be static it can change and move and and adjust and flex um but you certainly do want to do this in a way that you do come away with a final you know a final piece or a a final piece of of art um it's so funny about two weeks ago ruth and i were going through all of our all of uh, a bunch of papers as we were sort of organizing our home and uh i found her one of the visions that we vision boards that we did uh, probably two years into our relationship is she was still uh, comp- running competitively. And I wasn't running competitively anymore, but I went through that process with her. And I showed that picture to her again. And at first, she giggled because, you know, it's sort of funny as we talk about the sort of the cheese about it. But she said the more that she looked at it, the more she realized that many of those things that were still – that she had indicated there from a running perspective, sort of the, 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 the scenes and the people – and the images that were on that page were still continuously being reflected in the goals and set settings that she was trying to create in her life even today even as she's not as competitive a runner and even if she's not in that same space she not only could go back to that place where she was as a document of sort of what that time was in her life but also how much that resonates with who she still is today because done effectively and done creatively in a way that is artistic just as we see those cave paintings of someone throwing a, a, a spear at a, at a by and you know 32,000 years ago we still see we can still feel the visceral the visceral feeling of the fight. Have you seen that movie the caves of I can't say the name of uh the French name of these caves or Salle or Lasso or something like that. No. I can't say it. There was a movie done recently in the last uh 2 years or so. I think um uh uh Dog did it and he uh it, it it's just an incredible document where he's gotten permission to go down into these caves with some camera equipment and they're very, very they're very si- they're very in a pristine condition and they're very taking great pains to keep them but the visuals of seeing those cave paintings is just amazing again that's i have a tendency to go off on side tracks i apologize for that i can't remember the name of the movie but you can go out there and look it up but it's pretty empower pretty impactful two points you said one about give yourself some time. I
0: also think people should give themselves maybe a couple of windows because there's something about kind of getting it in place, taking a first stab at it, letting it sit and marinate in your brain as you go away from it. Maybe go for a run and then come back to it and see how maybe your thinking has evolved. Your other point about involving others is I think it's really critical, especially other people that are important to you, not only that understand how you might be motivated, but also might be important to you in the pursuit because if someone you know like I just imagined as you were talking about that doing this with my sons and you know if they were to place something on the board not only would that object have meaning but so would who placed it have meaning which would reinforce maybe some of the reasons why I do some 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 of my running so I think those two things are critical once you have it done
1: then what what do you do with it well, I think a little bit different as, as similar to your statement of purpose um, this is this is something that you can either share with others if you feel comfortable and it's not it doesn 't feel uncomfortable but I would also but the key thing is to put it in a place where you can see it on a consistent basis whether that 's some place where others can see it or not doesn 't really matter with modern technology today, you can take a photo of that. You Just get it lined up, take a photo of it, and make sure that you've got a place where you can look at it on any, at any time that you wanted to. You don't have to carry it with you everywhere you go, but maybe put it in a place where, in a closet or in a bathroom or um, in an office space where maybe not the whole world is coming, in to see it but also it might also be a great way to reinforce the goals that you have if you took it and had it in a place where others could see it on a consistent basis if you felt comfortable with that it certainly will will reinforce the reasons that you did that and will also force you to articulate the vision you see in your through your eyes in a verbal way to others to share with them the excitement that you feel about this goal that you have or this vision that you have for yourself so i'm i'm you know, given the sort of uh, the sort of level of cheese that people might be feeling about this, I get that you might not want to take it out and show it to the whole entire world. But I do think it's really important that, that you've created this; that it's something that you look at continuously, because it can also, just as we discussed with a, with the idea of the statement of purpose, it can be a living document that you slowly but surely adjust and change. I think that's one of the wonderful things about using Pinterest is that you can continue to get a much and more more and more robust um, sort of volume of photos or pictures or stories or whatever it is that you want to use and you can continuously flip through them um, utilizing the methods of social media, the methods that we have to do that now with iPhones and iPads and com- and, and computers and such. So, you know, it's really interesting. And you could do another thing. This is a uh, sort of, I, it's so crazy how you think about these things. I, I had forgotten that when I was a uh, like six years old, one of the very first runs I ever did with my dad, I was, he was in preparation for the New York City Marathons, 1976. And I can still remember that he had what we used to call shadow boxes. Do you remember shadow boxes? They were these like thick boxes that you could put something in the back. They were they were like two yeah. inches, three inches thick, and you could take and put objects in them as well as pictures and images. You could tape something to the things to the back. And my father had created a a marathoning vision box, sort of shadow box for himself. I'm just remembering it because <laughs> I remember it was a candy bar called Marathon Bar. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah. it was a caramel bar that yeah, you yeah. and it, and he had that candy bar wrapper cut out and put in that shadow box as I'm actually remembering now in the vision of my mind. Isn't it crazy? I yeah. do all this preparation for this that we're talking about and I, now it just comes to my head something that my father did with that. But He,
0: he passed it on to you. The yeah, absolutely. Concept. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I do when I'm in a training cycle for a peak race is I always take images that are meaningful to me and put them as my desktop background. Yes. So that <laughs> it's constant
1: my reminder, even if subtle, of what I'm trying to accomplish. And that's a perfect way to present that because it's a subconscious, conscious, subconscious way of consistently coming back to those images. And, you know, then you're you're sort of diffusing the cheese bomb, right? You're diffusing that level of that. And I think that if people will get over, I know that it will take that this will be the one piece of what we're talking about throughout this entire process of mental training that will be least likely to be implemented. But second to the statement of purpose, it's probably the most important because it's taking that vision, that statement of purpose and putting it into a visual way. So whatever works for you, do something, do some little thing. Even if it's like our good friend Albert Marino who has a, a tattoo on the back of his calf that had his, his goal time or his marathon time initially that he ran I can't remember what it was like 259 something and he's got the numbers tattooed on the back of his calf yep. and I remember when he achieved his goal seeing him the next as soon as he could he went out and got another tattoo one to X out the old time and another one to put the new time that he had run on the back of it and you know at first so to some people that might seem to be inappropriate but for others depending on where they come from it can be anything but something just like that is sort of is is exactly what we're talking about of seeing yourself as the runner you want to be as opposed to just being who you are that's what we that's why we resonate with mythology that's why we resonate with superheroes that's why we resonate that's we ask our children all the time to see them in themselves these characters that we that we have as a culture decided are appropriate role models for kids and yet as we get older we diminish those the role of role models and the role of being thinking about who we want to be as sort of a child's pursuit and I'm telling you folks this is one of the key things that you can do to take your running to the next level is to implement some of these actions to create the to create the vision of who it is you want to be as a runner
0: well and I'll ask those listening how serious are you about achieving your goals And if you're serious, then who cares how cheesy it might be perceived? What we're telling you is that this stuff works. So It works. Go for it. All right. So once you have the vision board and you can see what you want to become, now we've got to translate that into more tactical goals. As we jump into this discussion, I know you had a story, but one of the things we talk about around Rogue is that there's no plan B. You know, you should have only a plan, a goal. And oftentimes when people talk about races, they talk about a series of goals, which gives them all sorts of fallback positions when it comes to actually achieving the first one. So talk about goal setting, sort of big
1: picture. And I know you've got an anecdote to share with that. Sure. So, you know, we'll talk about this as one as as goal setting, but I'd really like to frame it as wanting to win. And And this winning to me in this case is is that you've got a winning is the one side of it, because if you don't win, then what do you do? You lose, right? So goal setting is putting it out there for yourself. It's beyond the statement of purpose. It's beyond the vision you see. It's literally saying, okay, let's put the, let's make the, where does the rubber meet the road? What is the thing I'm trying to do? And I'm telling you when we're, we're talking primarily right here, especially about a long-term goal. So this is the thing, um, that you're seeing for yourself, maybe, uh, at, li- at minimum six months away, probably more like 12 or 18, and in some cases maybe even four years for those people who are in an Olympic in Olympic cycles and things like that. You know, when I was coaching post-collegiately collegi- and when I was coaching collegiately, we looked at things in four-year cycles, consistently in four-year cycles. So depending on where that is, it needs to be a long-term vision. But this, these long-term goals should not be a realistic. This is a really crucial thing. They, The short-term goals that we're going to talk about do need to be achievable and realistic because we'll talk about smart and and some of these other things but from the big picture it does you should be in a situation where it makes your sphincter pucker you need to have it should scare the shit out of you you should be so nervous about whether or not you can achieve this goal because if it doesn't move you you won't move towards it um Achievable yes it needs to be in the realm of achievable but achievable is a pretty wide range and you know we've got example after example at Rogue as a, a collegiately and and post collegially, I can tell you example after example after example about something that might not have been realistic that was achieved because the person had the ability to think through it and to make a goal that was so far reaching. But I want to share a story I read um, recently and sort of researching going through this topic. Uh, there's a great book out there called Elite Minds by, written by a guy named Stan Beecham. It's a really hard book to find. Um, in fact, I couldn't even get a physical copy. And people who know me know that I am not a fan of uh, the Kindle or, or uh, e-books. I definitely like to have the physical thing in my hand. But uh, Stan Beecham shares a story. Um, you know he's a he worked with a lot of college athletic programs Um, I know he worked with the Georgia program in I think swimming he's and he was a runner himself he's done a considerable amount of running and so the book if you can get your hands on it it's got some really interesting antidotes but this one one thing I really want to share with you the story that he told so he he was doing this presentation to a sales team and they were they were trying to set a sales goal for the team Um, and and that he walked into them and asked them. He said they were they were asked to kind of create a sales goal um, where they were one hundred percent certain that they could reach it, right? They could reach this goal if they put in enough effort. So um, after everyone had set that, you know, so there was, they sat down, they were writing these things out and trying to create this goal, this 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 sort of this this goal that they would be sure to achieve. So after everybody had completed that task, you know, he said. Well, let's stay with this goal, um, but now I want you to kind of think of it in a little bit of a different way. I want you to rewrite that goal um, so that you would only have about a 90% certainty that you, could that you could achieve that mark. So there was a 10% chance that you would fail. Um, and so, you know, there was some grumbling, but, you know, the group kind of got, got their heads together, got to work, and they rewrote the goal. So Stan says, great, so you're almost there. Now I want you to rewrite this goal, but I want it to be written in a way that you're only 80% sure that you're going to succeed. So the leader of the group that they're all together, he kind of looks at Stan and says, "What the heck are you doing? This is crazy. You you shouldn't be doing this." He said, and then, and uh, Stan said to the group, he said, "Well, how good do you want to be? For those of you who are satisfied with keeping your job, maybe getting a modest bonus this year, you just stop. You know, 80% is probably as far. 80% chance of success is probably as far as you need to go." But for the, for the rest of you, let's keep going. So now I want you to write this goal as if you only had a 70% chance of success in this objective. So after they completed that round, he asked them again if they wanted to stop or keep going. So one of the salespeople in the group says, he says, do you want to stop? And then one of the salespeople says, hell no, we don't want to stop. We want to keep going. Um, so Stan walked over, him and gave, over to him and gave him a $20 bill. <laughs> and he said, with that attitude, you're going to make a whole lot of money because exactly, like, what, what what else do you want to do? You want to get your butt out there. You want to go for it. You want to take the chance. So he said, is anybody out there getting nervous? Is everybody nervous about what this project, this process we're doing? And he said, you know, a number of hands went up. And he said, perfect. That's what you want. You want a goal that will get all of your attention, the one that gets your adrenaline flowing, makes your sphincter pucker, makes you feel like you're getting right to the edge. So at this point in time, we've gotten through here to 70%. Now I want you to do it one more time. I want you to write your goal as if you only have a 60% chance of succeeding and there's a 40% chance that you're going to fail. That's your goal. Your goal needs to be something you have a chance to get, but the likelihood of failing is enough. And he said that's how you make those goals. That's how you set it up. You've got to go big. You've got to get a you've got to set a goal that has a chance for failure. If you're going to set a goal that has no chance for failure, you're wasting your time. He says it's no better than a pep rally. It's exactly just preaching to the choir, telling yourselves what you need to do. So basically his entire point is this. Don't make a backup plan. There should be no plan B from a lo- from a big long-term goal perspective. It should be one thing or nothing. And it should be a great chance for you to, a good chance for you to succeed, a better than average chance that you'll succeed, but enough chance that you'll fail to keep you motivated, pushing, and to be afraid. He made this great statement. He says, basically, many people see plan B as a safety net. It's not a safety net. It's a noose. You're hedging your bets and having a plan B is preparing to fail. This is his best quote. Kill plan B or it will kill you. Uh, I read that. I just, I think I snorted. Snot came out of my nose because I was like, how many years of helping athletes try to achieve goals and try to set big, crazy Psycho goals, or as uh, many people in the and said, of course, Amy Anderson is one of the great proficients uh, uh, aficionados of the term B-hag, big hairy audacious goal. But you've, it's got to be out there. It's got to be scary. It's got to make you make you get nervous. And then you've got to say, "I'm going for it all the way." It has to be all in or nothing. If it's not that way, I just don't see how you're going to be able to achieve it. One of my athletes, who was trying to qualify for Boston
0: was approaching that race, and he, he made the statement. He said, there's no plan B, just plan BQ. <laughs> which oh, that's I, which awesome. I thought was pretty good. <laughs> but, it, but it makes that point, and we have great stories to tell from lots of athletes, including Nora, which we mentioned before we got into this. She came to us five or six years ago, something like a 258 marathoner. At the time, I don't even think she was conceiving the fact that she could potentially be an Olympic trials qualifier, but as she got into our system and began improving and got into low 250s then high 240s she started to see those things come together but before that she really articulated or we got her to finally articulate that the olympic trials was something that she wanted to go after and she got there it took her a couple of attempts and you know a tough day at the martian marathon when we were there on a warm day
1: but she got there at at cim you know, it go, kind of goes back to that that idea that that's pushed out in the secret, which is the law of attraction. That if you see it, if if you know, if you if you can say it and you can do this consistently, that you can make you know magic happen. And um, Nora is an example of that. Uh, I just watched a movie recently on the story of Jimmy Pazienza, the boxer. I don't know if you've seen that movie. I think it's a, a bleed for this or something like that. I just watched it the other day. You want a person that would say no plan B. That's a guy who basically um, got in a car accident and uh, broke his neck, and uh, had to be in a halo for six months or something like that. During that time frame, he refused to believe he wouldn't be boxing again. You know, and, and I don't think it's a, a it's too far stretched or 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 uh, too big a reveal to or spoiler to say that you know he ends up winning and beating Roberto Duran in the in the world championships in a boxing and he wins the wins the. The title of I don't know if it was heavyweight champion, but whatever whatever level that it was that they were boxing, and he achieved that. And the guy, you know, a year before, or a year or eighteen months before that, was in a was in a halo, and they said that he could nobody would even fight him, nobody would get anywhere near him. But the vision and the ability to see yourself in taking your statement of purpose, rolling it through a vision board, and through the ability of seeing it, and then putting in a, putting it in words in a way that's a specific goal that's long enough away that's ner- that makes you nervous, that makes you a little scared does something it sets something up in the universe you know i'm i know i'm a weirdo and i talk about magic and i talk about sort of mystical things sometimes but i'm a true believer that these attractive forces um are amazing and i don't know we don't know enough about the way the mind works and the way that the brain actually functions to be able to say that there's not that there's nothing to that because we've just seen time and time and time again Miracles or ma- or amazing things happen that shouldn't happen. Now I don't want to say that what Nora did is something that should not have happened, but it certainly three years prior to that wasn't even on her range of thought. But once she was able to start to think it, she bridged a gap that was pretty in pretty large. I mean, a 15 minutes um, in a marathon for a, for a runner who had been at a collegiate level before that is a pretty It's it it took that vision in order for her to get there she had to she had to see it and believe it and state it and go through this process of setting it as a goal in order to achieve it and no I can't give you a 100% chance that you're going to achieve guarantee that you're going to get the thing that you want by doing this process but I promise you you will have at least a 90% 90% greater chance than you would have if you didn't do it at all
0: this brings me to a personal confession.
1: To be honest, because as we've
0: been talking about this, when I started marathoning, this would have been, gosh, almost 15 years ago, shortly after that, having progressed fairly quickly from a 320 or so to a 308 to a 255, I articulated to myself and to a good friend of mine that I trained with at the time that at some point a lifetime goal for me the marathon was 240. I don't know where that came from it was sort of an arbitrary number but it seemed far enough away and hard enough to get that it was a good goal but also at the same time at the time it seemed achievable because I was making pretty rapid progressions chopping big chunks of time off with each attempt and then as I got older and had you know life happens work and kids and You know, owning, you know, being part owner of a business, those things started to make me think that that goal was not achievable or at least maybe dismiss it. And then at some point, uh, I got to a place where I realized that me dismissing it was really only an excuse, or I was using these life circumstances as an excuse for believing in that goal again. And so a couple of years ago, I came to a place where mentally I could wrap my head around it again. And then last spring, preparing for Boston before I had my stress fracture, I got to a place where I could physically believe that it was possible based on the results I was getting in training.
1: As his coach, I can (laughs) attest. I I also thought he could do it. So (laughs) I
0: came back to it physically and at some level believing it, but... I'll say that until we really had the discussion, I don't think I internalized the fact that I haven't put the plan A emphasis on it that I need to in order to really achieve it. It's like, it's possible I know that, but a lot of outcomes between that and my current PR of a 245 in my head would make me happy. Or I've been thinking about, well, if I could do this, that'd be cool giving myself a lot of plan B's that would satisfy me and, and make me feel like I was still progressing, but not really giving it the emphasis that it deserves. And that's not to say that I need to be in a hurry or shorten my timeline, but I need to reconnect with the plan A nature of that 240 goal personally.
1: I <coughs> I agree, but I also think in some sense you have to give yourself a little bit Cut yourself a little slack i 'm um, sure that many people who I work with will, who I coach will say, "What the heck is he doing giving Cutting somebody slack because what, is, what you did is you set a goal that you had a sixty percent chance to achieve and a forty percent chance not to achieve, and the forty percent crept up on you, and you didn 't keep it close enough in your in your in the way of thinking you didn't, br- it didn't it didn 't come back again and again enough for that physical attribute those physical aspects so in my argument is you didn't do a statement of purpose you didn't do a vision board your intent was there but your intent was sort of a little bit more muddled along the lines of this is what I do all the time and I think that's a real danger for us in our sport of running where there's such a health component there's such a sort of need to be a part it's part of who we are as people whereas a basketball player he's really just especially at any level they're trying to win a game and for us there's this all these other there's all these other wins that can be associated with doing what we do and we get those touchy feelies and those wins we get those wins on a consistent basis whether it's the adrenaline push after a 20 mile run whether it's the community of people that we're hanging around and spending time with whether it's the laughs and jokes that we have out on the roads whether it's achieving a goal g- achieving a specific time in workouts that sort of gave you that inclination that 240 was possible you could have some of those things all set up but they weren't anchored or weren't led with these things that we're talking about now initial intention is there, you set that, you knew that you were capable of doing it, so you did the first step, that most important step, the motivation was there. But you didn't take the time to make the statement of purpose to make it really real about resonating within who you were as a human being, and then you also didn't take it and put it into vision. So you skipped two important steps along that line. You set a big, hairy, audacious goal, and you knew that you were motivated to achieve it, but because you didn't have that in between, it's exactly the analogy I gave the the last time we talked about this topic, like I talked about with my elite team you find yourself standing on opposite sides of the shore right before you got on the airplane to go out to the race you were pretty damn sure that you could get under 240 because you were looking at it from a really logistical standpoint but when you actually had to get out there and feel the stress and the pressure and the nerves and the and the and the feels of the of of the race itself or as you're going through the final preps of that you didn't have that sort of initial background to go back and grab a hold of just sort of the bottom of the pooled <coughs> push off of when you were super nervous. And so, no, I think that you did everything you could do. And if people who are listening to us today are trying to figure out why they're not able to achieve the goal when they've done the times and workouts and they've achieved the, achieved the other pieces, I honestly believe that they don't see it. They don't see it because they haven't done the work that they need to see it. They haven't done the visualization to get it done. And also they haven't done the they don't they don't have a purpose really set there for that process. So anyway, you sort of without even knowing it walked right into me teeing it off. Yeah, a coach.
0: We've <laughs> <laughs> got some homework to do yeah. it seems. Okay, so skipping past me for a second. So we talked about this need for it to be the thing, not you know, plan B, or not have a plan B, but have only a plan A. The other thing in the context of goal setting that I talk about with my athletes is process versus outcome-oriented goals. And those things, sometimes it's important to have both. Sometimes it's important to have one or the other. There's a great story about Hank Aaron, the great major league home run all-time leader. Still. Still. And somebody... Well, he should be. And he he wasn't... (laughs) He wasn't the guy like Babe Ruth who would hit 60 plus a year. He was the guy who hit 40 a year for a really long time, and Mm -hmm. he did it consistently. So at one point, somebody in the media asked him, Hank, do you set goals every year to hit 40 plus home runs? And he said, no, I don't, because there's too many variables that play into that outcome how the weather is in a in the parks I'm playing in the parks themselves and how they're set up the pitchers whether they pitch choose to pitch to me or not and so there's so many other variables that I don't set process oriented or outcome oriented home run goals I set process oriented home run goals which is to say that I want to do so many hours of batting practice before a game in each week I want to do my preparation in terms of strength work and flexibility to make sure I'm maintaining my bat speed and able to get the rotation I need to with my upper body. So, he laid out then a series of process oriented tasks that he was doing that ultimately led to the outcome of 40 home runs a year. And so, I think sometimes for people, depending on what they're doing or depending on where they are in the process of getting into running, that sometimes process may be more important. The other story I'll tell is about one of my runners who came to me as a two-hour half marathoner, and he was fairly new to running, had done a couple of half marathons, including one here at Austin, and he came to me right after that, and he said, okay, I want to do another half in the fall, and I just want to be a little bit faster than I did in Austin. And I said, okay, well, um, let's let's first (laughs) focus on the process, which is How do you need to evolve as a runner? What do you need to do to get faster? And then we'll worry about the time later. And so we laid out a schedule for him. We talked about how many days a week he should be running. We laid out the ancillary work he should be doing to stay healthy because he'd had some injury history. We laid out all those steps and then decided that a month out from the race, we would kind of regroup and say, okay, where do we think you can be? And in that Four and a half or so months before his goal race, while we were focused on the process, he improved significantly to the point where we were talking about a breaking 130 for the half. And what that did for me was watching him, and ultimately he ran a 129. So he got his goal <laughs> because of the process, but the outcome kind of followed that. But what it reminded me as a coach is that sometimes if we set outcome oriented goals and we're not sure what Our potential is, then we often limit our potential because we're we're not open to the upside. And so that's just one example. But I do think as people get into this, depending on where they are with running, they need to think about both. What are the outcomes I want to see from a time perspective or from a distance perspective that I want to accomplish? But then also, how do I get there? And some of that gets into the the tactics that we'll cover later. But...
1: Yeah, I think the thing that to return to that Hank Aaron story that you told, I think is crucial in this regard, because um, there are so many variables in marathoning and half marathoning in the distance running. There's so many variables that have to be played out that can make you not achieve a goal. Um, but I will say this, I, I think of process and outcome a little bit very similarly, but I guess I would sort of phrase them a little bit differently. I would place them in a little bit differently in my mindset, sort of the process. Um, or process is all about what happens on the day-to-day. Other people might call it consistency. I really like to call it process, and that means you're connected to your statement of purpose in a way that resonates on a daily basis to do the work necessary. But you have this sort of outcome-based goal, which is that, that scary thing, that plan A that's out there, that um, if you do the process, if you stay consistent, if you if you keep those, that process-oriented goal setting and a consistent basis of showing up, doing the work, showing up, doing the work, you get much, much closer to the ability of doing, having that final outcome. Uh, coaching with the, you know, Bev Kearney at the University of Texas, I've said this before, it was a huge learning experience for me and uh, so many amazing lessons I learned. And she used to say all the time that it was her job to get an athlete to a certain point in their training. And that she could get them physically, mentally, and sort of in her mindset, spiritually uh, prepared for an event. And that would maybe get them to about 90% of what they were capable of doing. And then she would use this, she would hold her hands up and put her one hand below another hand. And she would say, okay, 90% is where you are. 100% is the goal that you want to achieve. There's a gap here of 10%. And she said, that's the magic. So all you, but if you don't train to 90%, the magic will never happen. You can't train at 85% and expect that to happen. But it will happen, and that's sort of the same, the similar regard of this process versus outcome. The outcome is the outcome goal is the 100%. But the process is the 90% of doing all the little things and all the things necessary to get there, and then the magic happens to just, to do that. And you know, it's a little bit easier. Um, I don't. I want to say easier, but in the sport that she was in. Um, reaction times and gun times and things like that, it, it, it happens so quickly that there's a special skill necessary for that. Marathoning in its own is its own special skill and the number of variables that come into play for us as we're preparing for these big races require us to have that window of ten percent. You just and I can't prepare people to be one hundred percent prepared for twenty six point two miles. If I do that, they've either peaked and ran absolutely and, and or they're or they're injured or both. I mean or or it's just a shit show. So you know it's a really important thing I think that 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 is important to talk about process, and also to realize that there are going to be no matter what, even though you don't have a plan B. That that nine, that analogy I just that Bev made about that ninety to 100 percent has no plan B involved. It's still all focused on plan A and getting the big goal done. It's just saying it's going to take a little bit more. You see a little bit of luck involved. There's a little bit of. Of, of the energy of the world. There's a little bit of what I call magic involved. And so you've got to be, the closer you are, the better you are in your process, the far more likely you are to achieve that. The
0: magic, as you say. So we're at an hour, Steve, so we're going to wrap it. But that's big picture on goal setting. We've, we will come back to goal setting in a more tactical, specific sense as it relates to achieving short-term goals on workouts or specific race outcomes when it comes down to brass tacks but we're going to leave that as our goal discussion today so we've kind of gotten through in these last two episodes on mental training the battle plan and helping you tee up your motivation how you feel about running your purpose how you how you say it and then your vision board how you see it and then the goal setting discussion to talk about how you're going to then turn that into tangible thing you want to go get how you're going to do it Yep. So we'll come back and we'll continue our series and we'll get again more into the more practical application but we're also
1: going to get really woo woo. We are. We're going to get some woo woo for those of you waiting for that. It's we've coming. I we've promise. We set
0: the stage. So thanks for thanks for listening. We we'll, we will come back around on this mental training uh, series in a few weeks. As always, of course, check us out on our website roguerunning.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at roguerunning. If you have any questions, send those to us and comment on our posts as we put them up. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next time. Later, later.